What would happen to our churches today if only the sinless were considered for leadership? Welcome to episode 25 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. Well, on some levels, it's a staggering question if you think about it. And that's exactly what we'll be doing today as we continue our discussion of heresy. Here's George. Last time we began looking at heresy, heresy is often used as a synonym for heterodoxy. That means wrong doctrine or bad doctrine. But actually, heresy means something a bit different than that. The idea of heresy is that it is a choice or a way that, when it is used badly, divides the church, destroys the unity of the church. Heresy itself is used in the Greek in Scripture both neutrally and in other writings, positively or negatively, it simply means to divide. That dividing can be quite negative, and when it divides the church, then that is the true meaning and understanding of heresy. Contrast that to heterodoxy, which means basically bad doctrine or wrong doctrine. So we've been studying heresy and some of the heterodoxies that lead to division, that lead to heresy in the church. Last time, we began looking at Donatism. Donatism is an early heresy, because it divided the church, that asserted that only those that lived sinless, blameless lives belonged in the church. They did this while the Christian church was still basically one church. There'd been no division into the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. There'd been no further division into the Protestant Church. In the early days, basically one church. And what the Donatists did early, early on is that every place that the church had a bishop in North Africa, the Donatists set up a competing bishop and a competing church. They basically said that the bishops in the other churches were sinful and therefore nothing they taught or did had any effect. If they baptized, you weren't baptized. If they gave you communion, it wasn't communion. If they ordained you, you weren't ordained. All of their actions were deemed to be unholy in their roots and therefore utterly ineffective. That's the Donatist heresy. St. Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430 A.D., is the one who wrote convincingly about the Donatist heresy. And note that it was a heresy. It intentionally divided the church by claiming sinlessness and establishing competing churches. So it was both heterodoxy and heresy. Augustine drew the heart of the church to understand that though filled with sinners, it was the unity of the body that mattered and that the division into another separate, parallel church was heresy. It was heresy because it was breaking into factions. It cut off a part of the body of Christ. That is the division which the early church contested when the Donatists tried to make it happen. Augustine's arguments were important. Because just as the Donatist claimed that actions by the original church bishops were ineffective because they were sinners, so the original church bishops claimed that the actions by the Donatist bishops were ineffective because they were heretics. 
It cut both ways, and it still does today. It might be interesting to hear what Augustine actually said. This is in Epistle 185, paragraph 43. And what Augustine is addressing here is refusing to rebaptize someone who had strayed from the faith and was being restored, but who had been baptized by the Donatists. The Donatists had baptized some people. Those people had returned to the one church. They'd left the Donatist group, that heretical, heterodox group, and come back into the church. But they'd been baptized over there by a Donatist bishop. And some of the bishops in the one church, in the early church, said, well, their baptism doesn't count because it was done by a heretic, by a Donatist. They had the same complaint that the Donatist bishops had when they looked at the one church bishops. So that was the issue. Should we rebaptize someone who had been baptized by the Donatists? And Augustine said, no. And here's his argument. Because I do not refuse to recognize the stamp of the monarch when I correct the ill-doing of a deserter. Now, what's that about? Augustine says, I will not rebaptize someone who had been baptized by the Donatists because I do not refuse to recognize the stamp of the monarch, of the Caesar, when I correct the ill-doing of a deserter, that is, from the Caesar's army. Augustine was familiar with the Roman military tradition of tattooing the hand of soldiers to mark them as the emperors, as his soldiers. And Augustine's quote means that if you are tattooed or cut, as in circumcision, as a soldier or a servant of the monarch, that even if you have deserted, you still bear the emperor's mark. Said differently, the evidence of marking remains even if you have fled or misbehaved or deserted. When you return, you may need correction, but you are still his. You still bear the mark. You don't need to be marked again. What he means is that it doesn't matter who baptized you or when. Once baptized, you are marked as Christ's own forever. You do not need to be baptized again. The mark is already there, and it is permanent. Now, what's interesting or ironic about this is that the Roman Catholic Church today does not follow what Augustine said. If you have been baptized in a Protestant church and you want to join the Roman Church, they will rebaptize you. If you have been baptized in an Anglican church and you want to join a Baptist church, they will rebaptize you. If you were baptized as an infant anywhere, Baptists will rebaptize you. One of the primary arguments Augustine made in settling the Donatists' heresy is that we do not rebaptize in the church. We believe that when you are baptized, you are baptized. That is what Augustine said. And the whole church accepted it. And in fact, the Donatists were accepted back into the church, and their heresy, their separation, was forgiven. The Donatist heresy was the breaking off of a group who considered themselves holier, basically without sin, compared to the rest of the church. 
The reason the church declared that to be heterodoxy is because we are not blameless. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we are all in the same boat together. That's the reality of it. And the church said it very early on, that any pretensions to being pure, blameless, and holy are wrong. They are contrary to the gospel. They are contrary to scripture. They are contrary to the unity of the body. They divide into factions. Heresy. As a side comment on all of this is the sheer size of Augustine's argument. It's called Epistle 185 to Boniface from Augustine, and it goes on to about 60 pages. What is remarkable about Augustine's argument is his profound concern for the unity of the church, that we all be one undivided body. Augustine followed Jesus, who said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. If we are honest with ourselves, we have failed to listen to the prayer of Jesus for us and have failed to be convinced by Augustine when he reminded us of it. The church has failed this profoundly, has divided again and again over doctrine and practice and tradition, over gender, over Jew and Greek, over sinlessness and holiness. We look at each other and accuse We divide both by heterodoxy, by teaching things which the church hasn't believed and which Scripture doesn't teach, and we have divided even with right doctrine because we have wielded it against our opponents, against those we disagree with in theology or in practice or in history or culture or tradition. And again and again we have divided the church and have gone against this clear, simple prayer of Jesus in John 17. I believe that I and you, all of us, need to go back to John 17, read what Jesus has prayed for us, and learn to live it with each other. It is the opposite of heresy, living in the unity that Jesus prayed for. Division sometimes gets started dressed in such good intention. Thank you, George, for starting to shed some light on some of the ways that that happens. We'll continue this discussion after a quick break. 